It's time to bring forth the rhythm and the rhyme. We got Hef here, play-by-play from the SM Threat Intelligence Center. And, of course, we got Noah, who's uh, writing his own unauthorized autobiography about himself. And he's here with the color commentary. How you holding up, man? Doing good. How are you this morning? Good, good, man. I'm glad to to talk about the news with you. We got some cool top stories to talk about. Uh, The Google PII can now be removed from searches. So we're going to talk about that. We got the Black Bastard ransomware breaches. We'll give you a little overview on on what that new new thing is going down. We also talk about the counterfeit Cisco stuff that's out there and TLS flaws in Aruba and Avaya switches. And of course, Twitter is now going to try potentially authenticating all users. Some big controversy around that. All that and more here on the Security Metrics Newscast. And of course, you can subscribe on our website. You can hit the like button, hit the bell. You guys know all that good stuff, right? We are Security Metrics and we are coming to you from the lodge here at the beautiful base of the Silicon Slopes. Our goal is to keep you current on the changing threat landscape, try to help you take that intelligent approach to cybersecurity, keep you, uh, keep you, give you that peace of mind for all the new threats that are out there, see all the new ones you've been missing, and hold yourself to a higher standard. And Noah, hit him with that tagline, buddy. And never have a false sense of security. Here we go. All right, Noah, so the topic this week, everyone's been talking about Google allowing you to remove your phone number, email, or your address from, your physical address from search results. How big of a, of a new shocker is that? Yeah, this is definitely a win for personal privacy. So if your personal information, your address, usernames, passwords, things like that are showing up in Google, you could submit a support request with Google and they're saying that now they'll start taking that stuff out of their search results. Yeah, now they do have like request criteria involved in this. And sometimes they will deny a request. Sometimes they will approve your request. And it's all based upon what evidence you're providing them for your information that you want removed. The cool thing is this is a policy change. So in the past... I believe you were allowed to get your bank account, your credit card numbers removed, that kind of stuff. But now it's been expanded out even more to include what? So we've got confidential government IDs. We've got bank accounts, credit cards, images of handwritten signatures. That's huge. Yeah. Yeah. Images of ID docs, highly personal, restricted, and official records like PHI, personal health information, personal yep. health records. Uh, personal contact info, like your phone number and your address and your email address. Uh, They've also got confidential login credentials. So that's like dumps of usernames and passwords. Yeah, those threat actors, they love to do data scraping and they love to dump all that kind of stuff out there. So if you want to learn how to do it, we'll include a link to the Google Google blog article about it and you can definitely learn more. And that's uh, pretty fascinating stuff. No, what keeps me up at night is this new ransomware that's been out there. It's called Black Basta. And, you know, just a little disclaimer out there. I apologize if that's a term is offensive to anyone. It is what uh, they're calling this new ransomware. And we want to give you an overview on how nasty this thing is because it has been just tearing up the web. All right, Noah. So the first thing is we want to talk about is how it actually works and who's behind it and all that kind of stuff. Now, the good news is we have a lot of information about the background of this type of ransomware and how it actually works. Can you kind of give the audience a little overview, a little background on it? Yeah, so this ransomware group, they steal corporate data and documents, and then they encrypt everything and leave behind a ransom note. So when the company comes back in, they see all their computers aren't working, 
uh, they have to either pay this ransom to get their computers back, or if they don't, they won't get their data back, and the ransomware group will leak all the data that they stole. Yeah. Now, this type of attack, folks, is nothing new. This is what we call a double extortion attack. So again, they're stealing your corporate data, and then they they encrypt the data, and then they hold it hostage to you. So uh, what's interesting is how this actually gets executed. There is some thoughts that the group that's behind this Black Basta ransomware is actually the Conti ransomware group. Not the first time that we've talked about these guys either. They've been in the news quite a lot. Yep. This kind of thing happens all the time where a ransomware group will break off and start up different crews or get reorganized under a different name. Yeah. So what happens with this Black Basta thing is the encryptor has to be run with administrative privileges. And once that happens, um, it will not actually encrypt files unless admin privileges are there. And it will actually go in, it will delete shadow copies, volume shadow copies. Uh, it will actually go in and try to hijack a Windows service. In the example that we're going to put up on the screen right now, it's hijacking the fax service. So not a very popular service. And then once it does that, it'll actually change the wallpaper to display a message that looks something similar to this. Your network is encrypted by the Black Basta group, instructions in the readme, and as it does this, as it reboots your computer, it goes into safe mode with networking, and the next thing you know is the hijack Windows services start to encrypt all your files, and it starts changing everything to the extension of .basta, and that's where the real danger comes, folks, because it also plays with your registry. It executes some custom work on the, the Windows registry, and then you start to find all these readme files that you see up on the screen right now your data is stolen it's encrypted it will be published on the tour site please pay the ransom so pretty nasty stuff but what's what's the story behind this conti thing so uh, allegedly though conti is behind black basta yeah so a lot of people think that um part of conti came off to create black basta or all of conti or people who are associated with conti because of the similarities Okay. Their website is very similar to Conti's. Their payment site is very similar to Conti's. Mm. Uh, their support system for people who have been ransomware is also, I mean, basically the same. And their support people are also acting in a similar way to how Conti's did. Using the same dialogue and so on. So, yeah, this stuff's nasty, folks. And it is it has been tearing up the web lately. There's been at least 10 to 12 breaches that have been attributed to Black Basta Ransomware Group in the last, I'd say, maybe five days. So some of those breaches we're going to talk about right now. The first one that came up is this American Dental Association. Now, we did know about this last week, but we held off talking about it until we had a little bit more attribution. And now we have that attribution, and we know that Black Basta has um, claimed responsibility for the ADA cyber attack against, uh, against these people. So pretty nasty stuff. But there are some other trend lines out there still associated with Black Basta. And who are they, Noah? Because I'm hearing a lot, of, a lot more attacks happening in Germany right now. Yeah, so it looks like this group is operating a lot in Germany right now. There's also other groups operating in Germany, which kind of adds to the um, news cycle of that. We've got Lockbit, who just uh, ransomware a German library service. Okay. 
And then we've got Black Basta, who did a wind farm, also in Germany. Yeah, and I'll tell you, folks, this uh, this Black Basta thing is not going away anytime soon. It's actually also attributed potentially to this car rental agency called Sick. They're still waiting for more attribution on this, but as of right now, the car rental agency Sick, and this, these you guys are really popular. Have you ever used these guys? Six S I X T Rent a Car. I haven't. I don't know if they're in the U.S., but they, they are, are in. Over 110 countries? That's a ton. Yeah. And they have 2,000 locations. Yeah, I've used these guys. And I tell you, their customer service has always been really top-notch. I didn't know they were a German-owned company, though. And what they found was on April 29th, they had some suspicious activity they detected. And again, we're still we're still wondering, like, their their investigation is still in the early stages. But what we're trying to figure out is exactly who is behind this. I have to tell you, though, uh, this is exactly what Security Metrics is good at. These extended networks like the rent-a-car agencies and these businesses that have multiple locations. This is what we do very well is finding threat actors in this environment. So but, yeah, we yeah. do a lot of managed firewalls for uh, chain locations. Yeah, we do. So. Um, let's switch gears for a moment and talk about Avaya and Aruba. Uh, some TLS flaws were found this past week. Can you kind of explain to the audience what is Avaya, what is Aruba, and these switches? Yeah. Avaya and Aruba are uh, networking hardware companies, and they're kind of like one of the kind of cheaper brands, I suppose. So they're very common. I've seen them in tons of different environments. And the flaw leads to complete takeover from within the network. Yeah. So with the specially crafted packet, um, due to some poor error handling, you're able to get persistence on a Avaya or Aruba or to compromise a Avaya or an Aruba and take control of it. The thing about the switches, though, Noah, is they're not typically internet-facing. So these right. vulns, they, they, in some way, they face less danger from external, external hackers, but the risk is still significant. I mean, if you're out there and you have a Via or Ruby in your environment, you, you need to be aware of it. You need to always try to mitigate the risk. There are five vulnerabilities associated in total here and three of these avaya bugs are actually zero click which is really dangerous because it requires no authentication whatsoever no is user interaction in order to exploit these so there are dangers involved in this please be aware of it folks if you're out there again this is another area that i think you were doing very well on I know you were helping clients yesterday trying to be aware of, hey, we found Avaya, we found Aruba in your environment. These are the risks that's associated with it. We need to get out there and patch. Yeah, so. and the main risk with this. So network switches are used to connect a ton of devices to one network connection, right? Yeah. And you might think that uh, this isn't a very big deal because you can't access it externally. You have to already be on the network. But if you're something like a company that processes payments, yep. you have to have a credit card network and then like a guest network for your customers who come in and need the Wi-Fi. Well, if somebody comes in with a compromised device and they're able to connect to the access point and then therefore to the switch, uh, they can compromise that switch and then they can get onto the credit card network. Very well explained. And I'll tell you, we have a lot of clients out there that are, that are impacted by this. So please be aware of it. Let's talk about UNC 3524. I spy with my little eye your email, huh? So UNC, so this was a report that came out of Mandiant this, this past week. It's a threat report from Mandiant. And we want to highlight UNC, which is a new threat actor, new to all of us. And they call it UNC. Why? Why does Mandiant call it UNC 3524? 
Yep, so this is currently an uncategorized hacking group. So it could be a government, could be a ransomware, we we don't know. Yeah, we're waiting on attribution behind who is UNC 3524. But what we do know is some of their tactics, some of their yep. techniques. And we want to share that with all of you here in the uh, in the briefing here. There's some some really Noah, there's some advanced persistent threat actors out there that are just dangerous. And what they're doing from a trend perspective is they're trying to do bulk email collection. And yep. you can imagine if you get a threat actor in your environment and they hijack all of your emails, wow, what a dangerous pl place to be. Yeah, that gets into uh, corporate espionage kind of levels of stuff. Yeah, you, you think extreme about fraud. Uh, extreme fraud. <laughs> think about all that stuff, Noah. If a threat actor could download all your emails in bulk, what information they could gain from that. I mean, it's financial payments, it's who your vendors are, it could be intellectual property conversations. Everywhere you have an account. All your clients, yeah. The links to reset accounts. Big time. But you know, Noah, the thing that's dangerous about this UNC 3524 is their dwell time. And typically what we find is how long is a threat actor in your environment, and it's typically an average of about 21 days, and with these guys, they they take their time, Noah. They don't get out, they don't get in and out. It's not a smash and grab campaign. It's we're gonna take our time, be very methodical, and and we don't care if you are your email systems are on prem or in the cloud. Uh, we're gonna do our best to try to get access to the entire thing. So let's dive a little deeper though for just a minute into UNC thirty five twenty four. And what's interesting is what their motivation is, because they're not actually after money. There's no financial gain in this for them in the short term, but it's really about theft of intellectual property. Yeah, exactly. They're not coming in, uh, installing a ton of obvious malware and uh, stealing everyone's data, encrypting it, and then uh, putting up a ransom note, right? Yeah. They're installing on devices that can't have endpoint protection, like right. IoT stuff, from what I understand. Yes, that's right, yeah. So that way they can't be detected as easily. So stay under the radar. Yep. A lot of backdoors, a lot of uh, IoT stuff. What else, Noah, is there in there? Is yep. in and there? then they're just siphoning off that data that they need. So It's, it's crazy. And I, I was reading about in this threat report, Noah, that they're using dynamic DNS providers, which really gives them an edge when you talk about updating DNS records and not having to go through a lot of effort or energy to do that. It's just all seamless. So these guys, folks, I'm telling you, keep them on your radar uh, to have a threat actor come in your environment and steal everything. All that knowledge about your company just through email is, is very sad and dangerous. So there is some things you need to know about the tactics and techniques. And if you are if you're knowledgeable in tactics and techniques, you can better find the threat actor in your environment. So there, you know, from a perspective, Noah, when I say the word tactics, very high level, what is that? Tactics is how they get stuff done on the computer. Yeah, so more like 50,000 foot view. So if he said things like, uh, how do they get credential access? How do they do collection? Um, how do they make lateral movements in your environment? How do they do command and control? That's your 50,000 foot view of the tactics. And then within each tactic, folks, are techniques. And as you see on the screen right now, you see a list of these tactics and techniques that these bad guys use. And these are very beneficial for, for us, like Noah and I, who are threat hunting, looking at these different techniques that they're doing at each stage 
stage of their attack. And uh, we really try to use these and, and pay attention to how the bad guys, and we look for these kind of techniques. Again, very knowledgeable. You have to go a mile wide, an inch deep on some of these tactics and techniques to understand how they get in the environment and what they do once they are in your environment to find them. But UNC 3524, again, keep that on your radar, folks. Not going away. Another story we want to talk about right now is how we actually protect small businesses. And I thought this was interesting, Noah, because we talk a lot about cyber hygiene. And it was nice to see an article this week come out in the news about how important it is for smaller enterprises, smaller, medium-sized businesses to do cyber hygiene. I really call it like your greatest hits, my greatest hits, cyber <laughs> hygiene, cyber hygiene. You had, a, you had thrown out a number at me. I think it was like 80% or something like that. Can you share that with the audience? Cyber hygiene is um, fixing misconfigurations. It's teaching your employees how to identify a phishing email and uh, what kind of websites to go to, locking things down. And uh, we were looking at something earlier that said uh, 80% of threats could be mitigated by improving cyber hygiene, right? Yeah, it's all, you know, and folks, think about it. It's one click, that's all. Right, one click, one phishing email click by one of your employees could completely take down your business. Like, whoa, man, that's that's shocking right there. And it's happened before, tons of times. Yeah. So businesses really of all shapes and sizes, they need to focus on the fundamentals. So when you when you spend that energy and effort on knowing what's in your environment, doing the patch management, doing the the pen testing, looking for those guys, that low hanging fruit, you have a good shot at stopping the bad guys from getting in your environment. But the reality is Noah is what these SMBs are outgunned they're under resourced sometimes there's no budget for cyber that's where we come into play here at security metrics and we do a really good job of identifying those security gaps yeah I don't expect a mom and pops ice cream shop to understand cybersecurity very well yeah. that's totally understandable they understand ice cream and that's where companies like security metrics come in and we take that load off their back we manage their security we keep them up to date and informed yeah Keep you above the security poverty line for sure. So, yeah. uh, Speaking of uh, poverty here, counterfeits, man. Cisco, boy, this is some nasty stuff. There's a lot of counterfeit Cisco products running around out there, and Cisco's starting to fight back. So if you have Cisco in your environment and you're concerned that you might have counterfeit in your environment, how can you go about figuring that out, Noah? Yeah, so Cisco has a few different ways to identify if one of the devices is uh, – a counterfeit or a genuine Cisco product. Uh, looks like they have some hardware trust anchor, uh, secure unique device identifier, and digitally signed software images. Yeah, multi-layered approach to security. So again, if you have a Cisco product in your environment and you're concerned, we'll include the link to their blog where this week they published how to find out if you have a counterfeit product. So yeah, you probably shouldn't be buying um, Cisco devices off eBay or something for your business, <laughs> That's right. wherever these counterfeits came from. Buy it from Cisco or an authorized reseller. So the month of May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and we here at Security Metrics would like to talk about it. Mental health apps are very popular. Uh, prayer apps are very popular. And luckily, we have a report this week that details, that looks at 32 of these mental health apps as part of Mental Health Awareness Month. And which ones are bad for you? And specifically, Noah, what are we concerned about with some of these apps? We're more concerned about um, tracking your location and your other data and then selling that to data brokers who then resell it to advertisers yeah. or the government or whoever because anyone can buy that data. 
Yeah, and a lot of these apps, folks, the report that came out looked at weak passwords and and some of them targeting vulnerable users with uh, personalized ads, uh, just real vague, poorly written security policies. So you might be wondering, what are those 25 apps that are bad for your privacy and security? And we have them for you. We have a list. And those include a bunch of different fa- pretty popular apps. W- one of the apps that came to mind here, and we'll put them up on the screen here, folks, is this app called Calm. I know a lot of people love the Calm app, and there's some vulnerabilities in there and concerns about privacy that you need to be aware of. Uh, the other one that came up too, Noah, was the Sesame Street app. Oh, my man, I love yeah. it. That Sesame Street app is one of my favorites. Breathe, think, do with Sesame. Yeah. That's especially concerning because, I mean, Sesame Street is for children. Yeah, it's children's And we apps. do not want our children's data sold. <laughs> not at all. So again, these apps are available. This report came out from Mozilla. It's The report is called Privacy Not Included. We'll include the link to that as well, and you can find out more. But again, you know, Mental Health Awareness Month, please be aware of it and be aware of these apps. They're not the nicest apps out there, folks. All right? Another story that came up in the news this past week as we wrap up the last part of our show here, the Department of Defense scammed because of phishing, Noah? $23 yeah. million gone? Yeah, so a uh, jet fuel supplier for the Department of Defense here in the U.S., uh, I guess they were fished, and their payment processing was redirected to the fishers, and there was a phony website put up, and the DOD went in to pay their jet fuel provider and paid these scammers. Yeah, so imagine that. The, the scammers create a fake website, and then they start tricking the vendors with phishing emails to get their login credentials, and the next thing you know is they're siphoning off jet fuel uh, uh, <laughs> jet money. Jet fuel money. Yeah, jet fuel money. Pretty wild, right? So that is one thing to be aware of. And then there's also another story in the news that we had talked about previously in another briefing called EDRs, which are emergency data requests, not to be confused with... Endpoint detection and response. Yeah, a lot of acronyms out there in the cyber yeah. world, man. <laughs> All right. But I thought this was interesting, Noah. We had talked about these EDRs, emergency data requests. Could you kind of give the audience a real quick summary what that was a couple months ago? Yeah, so this is a warrantless request from data from law enforcement. So law enforcement officers can go online and put in a request on somebody that they maybe think is suspicious or what what have you, and they get a bunch of information back. But what's happening here is that people are phishing police officers or finding their credentials online and using their emails to do these EDRs and get people's information. And the way they're doing it, folks, is they're going after, uh, obviously they're going after law enforcement, but they're specifically targeting technology providers, social media firms. So these emergency data requests are going into your internet service provider, and they're responding with the data request back, and there's no way to really check or know if it's a legit request or not, or if it's being uh, fished from a a hacked account. Now, what's really cool, though, I thought this was awesome. Some guy said, I'm going to solve this problem, and I'm going to create create a credit ratings system where law enforcement authorities can be trust and verified. And I thought this was so cool that this guy actually did it. So now there is a solution in place to these emergency data requests. As we we kind of wrap up the last part of the story here is this data privacy changes. A lot of changes in the data privacy world. It's actually really hard to keep track of all the the changes in the data privacy world. Uh, India put out new regulations this past week about cyber incidents that if you're in India and you're a company, you get breached. How long do you have? Six hours. 
Yeah, and you got to do mandatory reporting. You got to do mandatory record keeping. That timeline is really tight from when you discover it to actually getting the context of the information on who the bad guy is and then getting it back to the Indian government agency, CERT India, to be able to respond. So fascinating stuff. Other data privacy changes too is Connecticut now very close to passing a data privacy law. And this is not the first state to do this. Actually, it's so, I know it's so amazing, man. This is now like the fifth state. I think California has data privacy laws, Virginia, Colorado, of course, and Utah. But seeing more and more states and this patchwork of legislation, uh, you know, you think Washington would get their heels together and say, let's get a, a national data privacy law so we don't have this patchwork. But they're not doing that. No, they are not. So it's good that the states are coming in and passing stuff. Yeah. And our last story for the day is Twitter in the news. I know you guys like talking about Twitter, <laughs> man. You want to talk about gaslighting. This is what gets me fired up is Twitter's talking about authenticating all users. Why would they want to do that? So this is to minimize the number of bots who are going through Twitter, posting misinformation, uh, drumming up support for kind of like false stuff or uh, making people outraged. Um, I think it's it's good in that case that it would get rid of these fake accounts, but it's also bad because I would never give my ID to Twitter. Yeah, you know, right. <laughs> like, right. But you know, Twitter has a much bigger issue at hand, and not so much in the United States, but uh, around the world, Noah. There's all these anti-trolling laws, and the one that comes to my mind is Australia has one. And now you think about this, folks, right? If uh, if they go the, this pathway of authenticating all users, how do these online platforms like Twitter? They have to choose. Are they the ones that do they face the liability in court, or do they turn over that private sensitive information and? And do they, does Twitter make the legal determination that the content is actually defamatory or not? So, that, I mean, that's the, that's the real heart of the question here. And there's going to be a lot more conversations about this. We don't have the answers here, but we're definitely going to follow this story, and we hope you do too. Leave a note in the comments what you think about that story or any of the other stories that we talked about today. We love, we love hearing from the audience. And, of course, we are Security Metrics. I'm Hef. I'm Noah. And thanks for joining us, folks. 